Okay, let's go into your next case. This is a 71-year-old female who, except for type 2 diabetes, had otherwise been in relatively good health. She presented in 2012 with progressive anemia and fatigue and was found to have a IgA kappa myeloma with 30% plasma cells in the bone marrow and by fish also had an 11-14 translocation and trisomies of chromosomes 3, 9, and 11. At that time, she had normal bone imaging, had ISS stage one disease, and was initially monitored closely as her anemia is relatively mild, but due to progressive cytopenias, including both leukopenia and thrombocytopenia, she was started on lenalidomide initially at 15 milligrams, but had worsening problems with her counts and actually tolerated it relatively poorly. And at that time was changed to a 10 milligram dose. With DEX? With DEX. At that time, she actually is a patient who spends part of a year in Florida, part of a year in the New York area. And she went up north for the summer. And at that time was changed to bortezomib that was given on a standard day one for 11 schedule by her physician up north. It was given subcutaneously, and she had a mild decrease in her IgA level, but did have improvement in her blood counts. She then came back down to Florida to see me, and at that point still had a fairly significant elevation of her IgA level at around 1,500. And at that time, I added low-dose lenalidomide back into her treatment at 10 milligrams daily on the day one to 14 schedule together with her bortezomib and dexamethasone. And she then had a significant improvement in her disease to a good partial response and then underwent autologous transplantation after she received conditioning on a clinical trial with melphalan and bendamustine. And she had a good response to transplant with a VGPR post-transplant and has now been on maintenance lenalidomide that was started in December at 10 milligrams daily, three weeks on, one week off. So again, the issue of maintenance therapy comes up, Sagar, and maybe you can comment on the data that was presented at ASH in this regard. There was an update to the French lenalidomide maintenance trial, and we've seen data in a couple other studies, including the CALGB trial. How does it all come together at this point? So I think it's important to recognize that what the French and the CLGB trial have in common is almost doubling of progression-free survival. Both trials will agree on that. What they don't agree on is the improvement in survival. The French continue to show no benefit in overall survival for lenalidomide maintenance, although the CLGB trial with longer follow-up does continue to show an improvement in overall survival. There also was the Italian trial, I guess, as a survival benefit also. That's correct. There was an Italian trial that randomized to transplant versus no transplant, and then maintenance versus no maintenance, and the group that seemed to have the best PFS and overall survival was the group that had a transplant and had lenalidomide maintenance. And so then the question is, well, what did the French do that may have limited their ability to see a survival benefit? And there were two things I think they did that may have confounded the results. The first is everybody got lenalidomide as consolidation. The second is that they only gave maintenance for two years, and then they stopped. And so what many of us believe, and I'm not saying it's the answer, but what many of us believe is that 
if you only give two years, you don't get the full benefit of maintenance therapy. There are very few situations where lenalidomide is not given until progression. And so you're basically buying the risk without buying the true benefit, which is what you see in the CLGB and in Antonio Palumbo's trial as well. So I think, in my mind, unless a patient has real opposition to maintenance therapy, I think it's a reasonable thing to consider based on tolerance and all sorts of other issues that we've talked about. And in this patient, I think maintenance therapy makes sense. So I'm curious, you know, I was mentioning this survey we're doing of oncologists, and one of the things we like to ask is, what do you say to your patients? Mm -hmm. And we ask them, what do you say to your patients about the risk of second cancers with lenalidomide maintenance? And it was kind of split between, there's an increase in solid tumors and hematologic malignancies. There's an increase, about another third said, just in hematologic malignancies. Another third said, it's not even clear there's anything going on. What do you tell your patients? Well, I think in a randomized trial, it's hard to say that there's nothing because there were clear-cut differences. The rate was higher in the group that got lenalidomide. Now, that rate was somewhere around 5 to 6% at the max on the len arm versus 3% in the non-len arm. But just to put this in some historical context, when high-dose therapy and autologous transplant was first developed for myeloma, we quoted patients a 10% risk of second cancer with an autotransplant. We now know with modern induction, that number is much lower. It's maybe 5% if you get LEN, it's 3% if you don't get LEN. And in my mind, the competing risk is really the risk of relapsing and dying of myeloma. And if that's the primary issue, then I think that to me really carries the greatest weight. What about the issue, because I haven't exactly been clear about solid tumors. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a real increase there? Well, again, the French had a randomized trial, so it's hard to explain that it wouldn't be. Have I ever seen a solid tumor in a patient that I had on LEN maintenance? Yes. Has it been more than a skin cancer? Yes. I've seen a lung cancer. The French trial had esophageal cancer in there as well. I think that there may be things that we don't completely understand. And if you look at Antonio's paper that was published in Lancet Oncology, I think just in the last week or two, of 4,000 patients that either did or did not receive lenalidomide as post-transplant therapy or as post-induction therapy, the biggest risk factor was the use of low-dose melphalan. So melphalan in combination with thalidomide or lenalidomide is where you seem to have the maximum risk. In patients that had not been exposed to alkylators, the risk was much lower. What was your discussion like with this lady about maintenance, and did you get into this issue of second cancers? She is, again, someone who trusts her physicians implicitly and really allows the physicians to make the decisions for her. And it was recommended initially by her transplant physician that maintenance was what he would recommend. And she confirmed that when she met with me and she felt very comfortable going on that. We did discuss the slightly higher risk of secondary cancers, and I usually present it as predominantly hematological. We discussed the risk of cytopenias and maybe a slightly higher risk of blood clots, although with adequate prophylaxis, that's much less likely to happen, and she felt very comfortable going on to lenalidomide maintenance. Is that what you generally find with this discussion, or do you have a fair number of patients who get kind of spooked out about the second cancer thing? I think as the data's become a little bit more clear that really patients are 
much more likely to progress and die of the myeloma than to die of a secondary hematological malignancy. The vast majority of patients are willing to accept the small risk of a secondary cancer if their myeloma is going to stay in remission a lot longer. As a physician, what I've asked is, can we better predict which are the patients who really need maintenance, which are the ones we can maybe avoid it, and does response rate post-transplant or cytogenetics or risk come into play into making that decision? I was wondering, I'm assuming there's, you know, I was thinking about this before when you were talking about your patient who had thrombocytopenia on the 10 milligram LEN maintenance. Is there any relationship between myelosuppression seen with lenalidomide and second cancers? I don't know that that's been looked at. I mean, I think a sign sometimes that there is something funny going on in the marrow is prolonged cytopenias. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was, but I don't know that anybody's formally looked at that. 